Welcome to Where Parents Talk. I'm Leanne Castellino. Our guest today is a mom of three and a leading voice on gender and policy in Canada. She is Vice President of Community Initiatives at the Canadian Women's Foundation. Anuradha Dugal is also part of a federal advisory council on gender-based violence. She joins us today from Montreal. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, thanks, Leanne. It's nice to be here. Anuradha, the Canadian Women's Foundation conducted a poll in the summer of 2021. It was a national poll and it examined the impact of the pandemic on key social and relationship skill building for Canadian children from nine to 19 years old. Can you tell us, and, and this poll was conducted through the eyes of their parents, I should add. Could you tell us, first of all, why this national poll was necessary? Well, there's, there's many, many reasons why. Um, I think the first, the first and foremost is that we know just how serious the situation has been for parents and caregivers these last um, 18 months. And we know that the impact has been largely falling on women for what's often called um, you know, mothering, nurturing, the kinds of skills and, and um, uh, habits, behaviors that women are expected to carry out in the home and that we are often call more, more rightly maybe unpaid work, right? Unpaid, unremunerated work that keeps our whole communities going. And we know that over the last 18 months, that has gone up hugely. The, the number of hours women are um, spending, uh, the number of women who have said, because of the pandemic, they're actually reducing their number of hours, not only because of employment cuts, but because of responsibilities that they have at home, because they're concerned about their families, they've got more work to do supporting their kids in and out of school, child care availability is down, they feel things are unsafe, sports activities, there's all these things that have fallen right back on families, right back on parents, caregivers, and largely that's women. Um, so it was really necessary for us to first of all say, uh, you know, what extent has this had an impact on the well-being of the whole um, community, including young people and the children that they're working with and supporting and trying to see um, just how stretched people are feeling and how concerned they are for their children. Could you tell us and summarize for us the key findings? Absolutely. So, so um, up to two thirds of parents had said that they were concerned that children have missed really important opportunities to build healthy relationship skills. And for us, healthy relationship skills are often the ones that are said are soft skills, right? So communication, boundaries, uh, being able to, to um, uh, understand what you need, questions about sexuality, questions about um, uh, how you um, ex experience your identity in the world, tolerance, um, lots of those things are in what we call healthy relationship skills. So um, that was a big, important finding and then built into that was the amount of time parents said to us that they were concerned that their girls were missing out on opportunities to build self-confidence and the age range you described nine to 19 or right in the middle of that around 10 is when girls self-confidence 10 to 13 drops terrifically 
And so knowing that over the last 18 months, parents had seen, 66% of parents with, with girls had said they'd seen that their girls didn't have the same opportunities to build their confidence. That's really, really important. Same for a sense of belonging with peers. Same about um, the, the ability um, for um, children to develop resolution skills, conflict resolution skills. All of those high 60s parents are concerned that their, their children aren't getting those opportunities. Anything in those findings surprise you uh, in particular? Um, I think one of the things I found interesting, so we used to, let's say, um, parents of girls being concerned about them missing out on things like um, healthy relationships or confidence or peer relationships. So, we, I think because we spent so much time saying girls need additional help because they, in schools, they're, they're, they often um, are, are silenced. In schools, they often, you know, their learning disabilities aren't recognized as quickly. Um, there's all sorts of reasons why we're concerned about girls in schools um, and in their social lives. Um, what this survey showed us is that the parents of boys are just as concerned, right? They're just as concerned about missing out on the healthy relationship skills, on not building self-confidence, in um, not having a sense of belonging with peers. And I think that was a, a coming together that was important for, for us at the foundation. Um, yeah, I think, I think that was surprising. And then I think just two thirds, it's just like, it's almost everybody. Uh, yeah. I, and I'm not surprised about that, but I'm dismayed by what that means for us as parents, as caregivers, and what it means for our children. You know, it's interesting to hear you describe it because on the one hand, the fact that uh, the poll participants are communicating uh, uh, means that there is an awareness that they have, that there is a gap that they need to address and fill. Mm -hmm. So that is heartening, certainly. Uh, the challenge is, you know, how do you get there from sort of the lost time that this pandemic has made us all sort of experience? Let me ask you, as a mother of three boys yourself, what does that look like in your own home in terms of this conversation uh, in your home? So we, we've been, um, we've, we've had to adapt as parents to what peer relationships look like. So um, the other thing is my kids last year all did schooling from home and that was a choice. So we didn't do, um, we didn't want our kids to go back to school in person. And luckily we were in a, all of them were in um, a situation where we could make the choice for them to stay home. And that was because of a health concern. So we had to get a special recognition from our school boards that they could do online learning from our home. So we spent a year, a school year, with them um, online all day long. And one of the things we had to accept was that included social relationships being online. And it included an awful lot of things that for me I had spent and I know this resonates with so many parents because I've talked to them about it. I'd spent my whole parenting life up until then trying to say screen time is limited. Screen time only happens on these days. 
screen time is about this. Don't have too much time on screens, right? And here we were in a situation where they were spending all this time online, but it was the only way to allow them access to their peers and to, to learning in a safe way. And I think those were, those were some of the highlights actually that, that we learned. They did cooking classes online. They did sports online. They did, you know, all of these things were, were still available to them, which was kind of incredible. Um, the downside is just all the things I can resonate entirely with what the parents said in the survey. I saw a drop in self-confidence for some of my kids. I saw a less, less of a sense of belonging. Um, I think what I did see go up, which we didn't ask about in the survey, and I think is an interesting thing maybe to explore in the future is um, a certain amount of emotional intelligence building because they've had to negotiate the, all of these emotions that they've been feeling inside themselves, right? They've had to reason through, why can't I see my friends? Why can't I go out? Why can't I learn in this environment, right? It's a horrible environment to learn in for many, many children. Yeah. So I think they've built some of those muscles, but that's not about building self-confidence. That's not conflict resolution. That's not those socialization skills. That's more interior skills of how you deal with what's, what's essentially, you know, a potential mental health crisis. Absolutely. So the Canadian Women's Foundation conducted this poll. And I wonder, um, you know, what does the Canadian Women's Foundation do in terms of helping to support parents cultivate healthy relationships? What does that look like? Sorry, I missed the question. Can you just uh, say what, what, it again? Sure. So what does the Canadian Foundation do to help support parents who have basically asked for help with the gaps right. that you've identified? Right. Could you yes. take us through some of the programs that you have that help parents yes. in this regard? Absolutely. So parents who are um, in, so parents that are connected to the programs that we work with. Um, so those are teens in different kinds of um, healthy relationships programs, girls empowerment programs. They get connected to the program sort of through their, their, their child. So there's, there's not necessarily um, a direct connection that we're supporting those parents right away to, um, to be involved with us about building their skills, they get involved with the programs that their kids are in to build their skills. So um, as an example, the healthy relationships programs, one of the things we found was that, that young people communicate better with their parents because they've had a chance to think about conflict resolution, because they've had a chance to um, develop their ways of communicating because they understand their own boundaries better. And they're exploring that in a, in a safe space in a, outside of the home. When they come back into the home and meet with parents, they communicate better with parents and then they change parental behavior. That's one of the things we've seen. Um, and I guess the other thing we do is because parents can, um, there's lots of tips and, and tip sheets on our websites, there's lots of information about communicating with um, young people. There's lots of information about what, what builds healthy girls and empowered girls. There's lots of information about what makes young people feel confident in their relationships. Those tip sheets are always available on our website. So there's 
There's one in particular about back to school right now um, that we encourage people to go and look at, but there's also been ones about um, how to help people if they think they're in an unhealthy relationship, uh, what you should know if you are um, seeing a change in your team's behaviors. So there's there's a couple, there's, it's really information that we provide. And then that information has, has resources where people can reach out and get direct help if they think they need it. So, so I just wanted to make that separation that we're not doing direct service with parents, but we're offering parents a space that they can ask, you know, find out information and then get the help they want. You know, it's, it's so interesting um, because earlier you described these skills, you know, conflict resolution, self-confidence, uh, et cetera, as soft skills. Mm. Uh, they are absolutely foundational life mm -hmm. skills, uh, many would say, uh, and often not really thought about. I think a lot of parents think, you know, these things happen in school, they happen, you know, in the arena, on the playing field or whatever. So like, what's my role really got to be in fostering and cultivating these skills in my children, both boys and girls? I wonder, um, given the rise so in gender-based violence that we've seen in the last two years. So the statistics show that in Canada in 2020, there were 160 uh, women violently killed. And the year before in 2019, it was 146. So an increase. What do you believe needs to be actively done to really address this issue head on? Well, I, I think, um, first of all, I really thank you for mentioning that those skills are foundational because I completely agree. We can't, um, we can't not teach our young people those, those skills. Um, so I would, I would say my, the first thing is prevention. And so prevention, many people think that's about the girls' programs and the teens' programs that we support. And we do that. We want every single child in Canada to have access to a teen healthy relationship program that talks to them about how they communicate, talks to them about consent, talks to them about um, their, uh, their, how they want their relationship to be, and then gives them the skills to be able to describe that and, and enact that with somebody else in a, in a, in a way that um, promotes their, their agency and their ability to, to communicate. Those are really, really important. But, but prevention is not, it's about girls and teens, but it's all through the life, life cycle, right? That's, that's why when we talk about healthy relationships, we, we say it's about helping young people feel connected to their community too, and understanding how they can um, be in community with a sense of connection and with a sense of um, understanding what their responsibilities are and, and the impact their behavior can have. And I would just give an example. I mean, I take prevention as being something that, that we do, you know, at the dinner table, at the, when I'm driving my kids to different sports activities, if we're talking about the games they're playing online or their, um, the, sorts of, um, the sorts of books they're reading, whatever it is, for me, if there's a question uh, that allows them to develop their critical thinking around um, 
if I'm, if I, you know, what does this make me think? What does it make me feel? How is it making me react? And is it, what are the values behind it? Does it support what I believe about the world? Is it developing my understanding of the world? Those sorts of things. We have lots of conversations about that. And, and I, I think I, maybe more because of the work I do, I, I talk a lot about things like consent and um, expression, how you express that with, with my kids all the time. And maybe because they're boys. And again, in, in society, we're socialized to think that boys are you know, more likely to do harm. It's not necessarily true, but that's one of the messages that we, we often get. Um, so I've, I've had lots of conversations with young, young people and with, with the boys that I'm raising about um, that question. So staying on that point for a minute, let's say that you are a parent, a mother or a father who yourself has been a victim of violent behavior in your past. And now you've, you've got children and you really don't want the cycle to repeat itself. What are some of, you know, simple steps that you can, or actionable advice that you could provide parents in that category uh, to help, to help them move forward? It's, I mean, it's different for every person. So, so these are just examples of things that I've found work. Um, so one of the, I remember very, very early on when my kids were very little, I was always um, encouraging them to check in about um, hugs. So rather than, than just sort of run up to somebody and just give them a hug, which of course is a young, you know, especially a young child's most exciting moment. It's, a, it's actually usually wonderful to get a hug from a child, but that's not necessarily always the right thing to do. So I, as they've gotten older and we've been able to um, remind them about this, just, you know, you go in for a hug and you say, is it okay? And if, if the person is like, actually, you know, I don't really like hugs, then you just step back very, very, and it's a very natural movement that kind of basic consent question should be a part of all of our interactions. Um, and I think that's what I've tried to teach my kids. So, you know, checking in, can I, um, so, so can, is it okay if we do this or is it okay if we do that? It's never an assumption that the person you're with wants to do exactly what you wanna do. And that can go, you know, we, we, we test that out at home. You don't have to eat all the food on your plate. I know it sounds odd. It, it really does sound odd, but, but things like insisting that somebody does something because you think it's the right thing is a way that par parental power builds in sometimes an acceptance from a young person that they have to do what somebody more powerful tells them to do. And so if we, of course that happened, that has to not, you can't put somebody's safety at risk, but in the spaces where it's possible, giving children's choice and allowing them to say, oh, I don't wanna do this, I wanna do that, is a way of building their agency. And building their agency is a protection against violence. Building their ability to say, this is my boundary, right? I, I like peas, I don't like broccoli. I wanna do, you know, I wanna to go to the park, I don't wanna to go to the pool. I, and you know, by the time they get to 16, I'm not ready 
the sex with this person. I right, it's it's been built in as a really strong foundation, and they can express what they want. And if it's never built in from the beginning, then when it comes to those really important questions, no, I don't want that, you know, I don't want to take that or their ability to understand who they are and how that reflects in their behavior is, is much more secure if you've had those conversations with them all the way through their lives. And I think that's the thing that we miss out on as parents. We think that there's some kind of magical conversation we're gonna have with them at some specific age. It's not the case. It has to be an ongoing conversation. It's such an exceptionally important point that you're making. And you know, such a fine line as a parent that, you know, I'm sure you can attest is, is the need to balance out protecting, safeguarding children from, you know, um, what they don't know, what's age appropriate, all of these things, but then standing back and, and letting them drive that decision making at different ages and stages is, it, it's got to be an interesting um challenge for parents who may have never were not raised that way themselves and now are looking at maybe changing the way that they approach this with their own children. Absolutely and I think that's why it's so important if you if you're aware of that as a parent that's the first step right you make the, the and then you then you learn then you you look for information like our tip sheet you look for information parenting books you look for how you support your young people in in a really positive way and I think that's what we say in our girls empowerment programs at Canadian Women's Foundation the teen healthy relationships programs we use a term that's always strength-based so it's coming from where where the strength is built it's not looking at a, a a deficit and saying you have to fill this deficit it's looking at it from a perspective of this is who this person is this is what this community is they already have things built in that make them strong and make them able to make these decisions. And you, you build from where they're at, not from some, you know, not from an idea that there's, they're missing something. I think that's also really important when you're looking at a young person. And that's how you kind of get them on your side too. Because if you're always telling them there's something wrong with them or they don't know something or there's a, a, they're making mistakes, then, then they build up um, resistance to those messages. I've, I've certainly made those mistakes as a parent many, many times, right? That's, mm -hmm. I'm still not over that. I still way too many times try and tell my kids that there's something wrong with them that they have to fix. Yeah. But when I flip that and try and do it like from a position of, you know this, you, you've got it, you know, you know, I'm here just to support you. It changes the dynamic enormously. Absolutely. Let me ask you, uh, what do you hope that the results of this national poll yield in terms of the societal discourse, whether it's been, you know, pandemic fueled to uh, these negative, even more negative statistics that we've talked about? What do you hope that 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 it, you know, the light that it shines on, on this conversation, not just in Canada, mm. but uh, everywhere? Mm. That's a really important question, because I mean, there's so much that we can take away from this period. I think, first of all, I hope that um, during this really uncertain time about as kids are going back to school, I really hope that parents will consider 
more about what their kids need and how they can bolster some of those things, right? Um, whether it's whether it's using the tip sheet, whether it's finding programs like the ones I've described that their kids can, can uh, join. Um, but it's really important for all of the caregivers, all of the important adults in kids' lives to support them, to think about their mental health, to think about ways to build their confidence and help them feel connected. So that's one lesson I hope we've taken away that those things don't don't ever go away and they should always be top of mind for young people. Um, and then the other thing I think I would like is just for parents to spend a few minutes thinking about how they help build that in, in their own kids' lives and for themselves, right? You mentioned survivors as parents. All of us in different ways, whether we're survivors or not, can think about how we talk about um, gender-based violence, how we talk about those who've experienced um, trauma, um, and, and we can be role models for our, for our kids and the young people around us in how you meet that with compassion and empathy um, as you meet your own kids with compassion and empathy. And I would just really want that, I think that's the change I want to see in society, that, that there's less blame and less um, assumptions being made and more about meeting people where they're at. Such an important uh, amount of really incredibly uh, vital information for parents to consider, really important food for thought. Anuradha Dugal, Vice President of Community Initiatives at the Canadian Women's Foundation. Thank you so much for your time and insight today. Thank you, Leanne. It's been lovely talking to you.